Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the ne next episode of the Biodiversity Podcast uh, by Teasels. And uh, today I am joined, and I'm really pleased to introduce him, Daniel Holm from Highlands Rewilding. Hi, Daniel. Good morning, all. How you doing? Not too bad yourself. Yeah, not too bad at all. So, um, so I've been aware of um, quite a while now, actually, um, through the wonders of social media, like like everybody finds out, out new information these days about what you guys have been um, doing up uh, in the Highlands with uh, Highlands Rewilding. Um, so Daniel, do you just want to give a brief introduction uh, to yourself and your role um, yeah, at Highlands Rewilding? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm a, one of the ranger team at uh, Bunlight Estates, uh, one of the two estates under Highlands Rewilding. Um, my roles very varied. I do do all sorts of ranging from estate maintenance to uh, survey work um, to uh, guided tours. I, um, yeah, it changes from day to day. is very varied. Um, quite an interesting job, and um, I guess maybe slightly different from what a traditional ranger role would be um, because of the mission of, of Highlands Rewilding and how we're trying to run the estate. Um, instead of just being sort of visitor liaison and... But uh, isn't, isn't it, dare I say, if I can interject, isn't that the modern day, if I perhaps compare what you guys are doing to what the guys... NEP are doing and what the guys down at Wild Ken here were doing, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the day of wearing one hat on an estate may be over. Or... I think so, yes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is like um, show that like the estate can, there's so many different things that can be done on a, on a large piece of land like that rather than say, for example, just grouse shooting on, on a huge area but there's there's like so many other opportunities for for an income from the land yeah yeah um yeah so it's interesting so for the one viewer that's lived under rock for the last 20 years could you give um what you what you how would you how would you define rewilding perhaps how would you define rewilding on the Bunloit uh Bun estate That'd be quite interesting to hear. Um, to, it's difficult. I mean, we're we're trying to, yeah, <laughs> rewilding. Um, uh, sorry, sorry if that, sorry if that's a sort of a difficult question because, but I do feel that rewilding now has been is an overused word, and people really and yeah, people yeah. use it just willy nilly now. So I just, I it'd be interesting to see you know, sort of your your take on that word because you are on the ground dealing with, you know, the yeah. processes. I think, well, it certainly is. It's become a buzzword now. Um, and our our sort of view on it is like, we're, is to decide whether, like intervention isn't always necessary. Sometimes it is. And so I'll give you an example, like tree planting has become very, popular these days and tree planting has become part of like the rewilding buzzword and just like plant trees everywhere mm. but obviously you need to be planting them in appropriate places the appropriate species 
looking at what's there already if there's like remnant forests like what species are there um and maybe using seed sources from those those trees that you have on your land to to maintain the the genetic yeah well can we can we so can we yeah so that's really really interesting because you you're bringing something to the conversation that i think gets lost because you think you you said about appropriate species now mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong that i see uh i see you know yeah you know we have to you know we've got, we've got government guidelines and government targets to meet for x y and z number of trees that we need to plant but i think what gets lost is perhaps to do that or definitely to do that uh there are a lot of imports grown in different countries being being imported to achieve that and i think that kind of gets lost so using you know local provenance um doesn't get much of it well doesn't get perhaps there's a lot of conversation about it but doesn't get listened to in in, in, a, in a lot of cases no i don't think so and we're not really i don't think we're really set up here for to produce the amount of trees that the government say we need to plant yeah we, we're really not we don't have the infrastructure for it um and, and and importing trees has caused so many problems and with the importation of diseases and such like i i previously worked as a tree planter for, for quite a few years and we were planting ash and then the ash die back came back and we had to go back to a lot of sites and pull all the ash out wow. in case it was in case it was contaminated so yeah definitely promoting local local tree uh, nurseries would be would be a, a great thing to do mm. um, again although i mean there's also this argument for for not planting at all if you have already on your land there's a lot of trees around and, and they act as a seed source just let that sort of happen let this the, the trees um seed themselves and, and natural succession um it's just whether we're patient enough to allow that to happen we're often in a rush to to get it all done and, and, and change very quickly um for example we have a lot on van Loyt, we have lots of gorse and sorry, there was a lot of conversation about maybe getting rid of the gorse because there's lots of it and it's encroaching on grassland. But actually, the gorse acts as a really good tree nursery. It protects like young trees, and and they, eventually they'll get up and they'll shade out the gorse and it'll turn into woodland. Yeah, yeah. But it just it just takes longer than than like we're not patient enough sometimes. So so it, so it's quite interesting. You say we're not patient enough. I I, I assume. Uh, when you say we, is is that term, is that in terms of sort of stakeholders or or government? No, no or... I mean that's that's just in general, like not yeah. not to do with like when like we we're quite happy to like our to look at what we've got, and for example, Ban White is quite a there's a lot of habitats quite intact there, and we have quite a good seed source of trees, so there's a good chance that we will leave quite a lot of the areas to just to to do rewilding themselves yeah yeah whereas the other estate we have down near uh keith in aberdeenshire is there's very very little native woodland left there and so some tea planting might be required there yeah interesting so um but i draw the comparison between uh you know you mentioned about the gorse i draw the uh -huh. comparison between uh you guys and nep how sort of the the brambles became um 
so the brambles then the hawthorn became the sort of the nursery crop to then allow for the larger slower growing um sort of oak and and, and beech to come through so it's yeah. um because it's quite interesting it's quite interesting you so you um so you were mentioning you know like how um uh, you know how scrub can be overlooked you know it's not a habitat type that perhaps we we value as much as we should or do you, do you find that on the estate definitely like scrub is really definitely overlooked um it's i guess because it, it doesn't produce anything valuable for us so and then it gets it's stabby and all that it gets in the way of productive farming or whatever so but it's it's very valuable habitat like a lot of birds use it for nesting a lot of the scrub species produce berries or uh, flowers for, for insects. Mm. Uh, and certainly, like we find on, on Benoit, we have um, wild boar. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they quite like the gorse. Like they're, they spend um, uh, a lot of time sort of sheltering in the gorse because it's evergreen. It's good for them in, in the winter as well. Um, and I, I think probably a lot of other mammal species as well. So it's scrub is, is definitely maligned it's <laughs> yeah no wish i should i should ever i should uh yeah perhaps i should you know get um do a, I, I do a podcast especially about scrub because like i say you know uh uh it much maligned but uh again like like you know like we've seen down in nep you know how it is really valued but you mentioned about there about the wild boars and what springs to mind is when you, as soon as you said wild boars the phrase uh, landscape engineers came into my head um, cool. because again, again it's uh, trying to draw the comparison in, 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 with other uh, rewilding sites that uh, how uh, how important uh, uh, you know the wild boars are. Um, do you do you, do you want to tell us what, what kind of effect they 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 have or they are having on um, yeah on the succession on the rewilding uh, on the rewilding aspect of of uh, Bunloit and oh, uh, they're not on Beldorni, are they at the moment? Oh no, no, we just have them at Bunloit. Yeah. Um, well, they've been, they've been there approximately twenty years. Um, sort of, I think from various escapes. Like <laughs> there's definitely like some would escape from from wild boar farms, but there's also some um, sort of feral pigs in there as well, because some of them are spotted. They're not all your typical um, wild boar. Uh, coloration um okay. most of them most of them are um but certainly they're very industrious um we have some yeah on the grass like they they seem to be from what i've seen of them in the last year they um like seasonally they use different habitats we have quite a big area of oak woods yeah. they'll be in there in the autumn when the when the acorns are falling over the winter they seem to have spent a lot of time in the grasslands I'm not sure but well they were probably looking we had cows highland cows there for a while and they were they were looking under the highland cow dung for dung beetles dung beetle yeah. larvae i guess yeah, so they'd yeah. Along the dig and they'd so obviously they would turn the dung into the ground as well as digging it up and then opening it and then come the spring now there's there's a lot of these disturbed patches all across the grasslands and sort of migratory birds there's a lot of and and just and native birds which stay here all year round love the 
these exposed areas and they're, they're constantly you see them all the time feeding in these areas um and then they would be dropping seeds there or mm. you know and there's some other areas where the water is gathered in these disturbed areas there's frog spawn so they're they're really creating lots of habitats all over the estate and allowing maybe in the grasslands which would otherwise be difficult for for some seeds to get a foothold in they're allowing those sort of bare patches and, and increasing the diversity of the grasslands i think i mean it's, it's difficult to say it's only been a year i've been there um but i, I can certainly see how, it, how that's going to turn out like it's yeah the one thing that one thing that springs to mind is um so uh what i what i'll do um when i upload this podcast i'll put the details the links to the uh um, obviously to the website but the 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 natural capital report that was done yeah. back in 2020 the one thing that came out of that report for me was um quite you know really conclusive uh report really well done but you know the the quality of uh, or the quality and the potential of the grasslands because um again the, the cap, uh, natural capital report was saying that the prep there was presence of certain fungus that will only would have been there because it's been undisturbed grassland so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's it's unimproved grassland so it's of sort of national importance yeah uh, there's not, not many of them around anymore um so we wouldn't we wouldn't i think we would look to sort of maintain certainly some of that still we wouldn't want it all to revert to woodland which it might might happen if we if we would just kind of leave it to itself to to itself yeah um so like the highland cattle aren't there just now but they'll be coming back in late summer yeah um and then we're also maybe thinking about getting some some ponies as well to sort of make that sort of mix of, of large herbivores and that will probably it'll keep the the succession to it'll slow it down and it'll end up being sort of more patchy rather than, than covering the whole area um yeah we want to maintain the grasslands i think definitely as, as they are so so prior to prior to the estate being purchased by Jeremy back in 2020, what was happening on that grass? Just sorry, what was happening on that grassland? Uh, sheep. Okay. Just sheep, and it was it was quite bad. It was really overgrazed with sheep. Um, so I think even in this year, the there's been sort of a noticeable difference of like sort of species that have been allowed to come through because there's no sheep there. Yeah. So I'm interested. So, so, so the in, in the adjacent uh, states, um, you know, and, and a, lot, a lot of the states in the Highlands, are there? So that's a broad, perhaps that's a broad term, but um, do you find it, it, it's a lot of it is down to a lot of it's been put down to sheep, and 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 has been un, and if left, if left, you know, uh, if there was a uh, if there was a change in management, that it could revert to uh decent grassland or a decent unimproved grassland or is it has or i would say so i think it depends on how i mean sheep can be okay if they're i think i don't know it's it's a bit controversial like, like sort of hill farming and that like the sheep are just sort of left to they just like off, on you go and they just yeah. eat whatever they want you know whereas yeah. if you had them in by by the farm you can sort of manage Right, they go there for that long. They go there for that long, and you can, 
you can manage like how long they're grazing an area for, like and, and sort of maybe grazing sort of pulses, and it allows the 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 flora to recover yeah. instead of just being grazed right down to like a golf course. Are you are you uh, are, are we are we talking about the the subject of mob grazing? So perhaps you you yes. yeah 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 yeah. I mean that's that's we've we've just recently uh, employed uh, Grampian grazers. I don't know if, if you've read about them. They're they're but they're they're sort of they won prizes for their their mob grazing and, and sort of grazing techniques. And they're based down in Beldorney, but they'll be advising on our grazing going Great. forward at uh, Bunloit. Um, yeah yeah and it and it comes full circle isn't it like the you know uh integrating you know integrating livestock into into a landscape you know i think again it's you know the broad term you know people always look at it you know cattle's the problem and the methane and all this type of non uh you know a very you know very focused conversation but again like you do, like well, then like like with the wild boars, like with the the cattle, like with the mob grazing, including you know including livestock into a rewilding system. Um, I think there's so much data on that now. I don't think it can sort of. Uh, I think it's going to go on and on and on, isn't it? You know where, where we integrate cattle into the landscape, even uh, integrate you know livestock into the um, uh, landscape even more. Definitely. I mean, it's it's the way it used to be. There used to be large herbivores everywhere. Um, and it's just like nowadays with, with modern farming, we do it in, in too much of an intensive way. They're just too focused, like thousands of cattle in a very small area. Um, whereas, yeah, if you do it on a small scale and, and sort of reasonable numbers, then it shouldn't really have an impact because it's it's how... Going back, just going back to the old ways, really, aren't we? No, we're going back to the old ways. We're not just going back to like the megafauna that used to be here that that used to like roam the whole entire country. Um, that's um, and and everything was perfectly in balance then when there was all mm. these these large herbivores. So, uh, although I mean, maybe the thousands of uh, deer we have compensate for that. I don't know. Like, there's. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so let's not go back right uh, back to when megafauna were were, yeah. uh, were, were traversing the earth. If we can go back a a, a couple of years um, to when, um, just to give a bit of context and a bit of background for again the the two people that you know don't know about Bunloy to the great work you've started there already. Um, do you want to give us a bit of uh, you know history from when the you know from when the the the, the state was purchased to where we are now? Because I know that, I know um, uh, you know Jeremy's done a well, he's quite an inspirational guy, isn't he? And he's and he's really yeah. pushed it forward with 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 him and him in the team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can't really speak too much about the first year because I I wasn't there in the first year. I uh, came in and came on board in the second year. Um, so the first year was kind of like, I think sort of basically they were sort of scoping out what would need to be done um, in order to quantify what we had mm. on the estate. Um, and so, and then, and then the second year was actually doing that. So we did a lot of baseline surveys um, of 
we made Every, like everything. <laughs> everything. Well, not every. We, we couldn't get everything done because just didn't have time. But we'll be doing more of them this year. The ones we missed out on, like we're about to start our breeding bird survey uh, next week. Um. So, yeah. So we've we've sort of got on a good picture of what we have there already. Um, covering all the different habitats and and different uh, groups of of animals. Mm. Um plants and then going forward we will continually monitor that and hopefully yeah. that will advise our management strategy and how we like we want to see an improvement in all in, in carbon sequestration and species diversity and yes yeah, so we'll continually monitor that to see that that's what's happening yeah um, going forward um See, I don't know. Is that sort of cover? As I don't really the history of what's no, 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 that, no. That I mean, that's fine though. But what it bring, what it what it brings up is that um, you know you talk about you know you talk about the 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 the, the management strategy. Um, I must. I mean, I mean, it'd be really interesting to hear that you know, like the management strategies that you know you guys are carrying out. I bet I bet it must be a real joy to sort of have all that data there, so you know, you know why you're doing what you're doing and the you know you, you're not it's not just a finger in the air we feel this is the right thing to do you've got you've got for the areas that have been surveyed you've got the data and therefore when you are at what you are um doing human intervention it's for a it's for a you know a a, a reason yeah so it's an informed so we know what the what's there and, and what we're what we're trying to get to yeah yeah it's it's definitely because otherwise you could just do a bit of a finger in the air and like you know sometimes that sometimes that does work because you just intuitively like being on the land all the time and walking around you see you just see things and you, you sort of you, you, you kind of realize you see what's going on hmm. but having the scientific data there as well is is a big help and, and i guess that um so you you're you've sort of been there for a year but how do you find the the collaboration the communication between yourselves on the ground and then the, you know the other consultants that have come in because again that must be that must be um a really nice sort of uh collaboration because again you you guys are on site all the time you're seeing sort of no, it's not anecdotal. Well, it kind of is anecdotal. You're seeing the stuff on the ground, and you're telling them, and then they're, you know, there's this sort of toing and froing of, of, of information. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really, it's quite quite. Uh, it works really well. Mm. Um, like a lot of the time, like we'll just be involved sometimes with if it's like really specialist work. We're just sort of logistics and and sort of showing people around and 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 telling them where the best place to go would be to do that. But then they're also sharing their information with us, and it's it's really good because we've got some really um, sort of cutting edge research going on there. Like, um, and uh, yeah, we feel really privileged to be sort of privy to all that because it just gives you uh, such a, a good insight of mm. underneath the, the anecdotal stuff. There's there's like this the the I don't know. <laughs> the numbers and the, the sort of science of it all yeah um, 
it's really interesting. And then on a sort of a, I mean, how 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 is and how is that going to work? Sort of, um, sort of going forward. I mean, do do, I mean, how do, how is it going to work going forward? How does it work on a kind of a a day to day basis? Are you sort of, are you in contact with, in contact with consultants sort of most days? And there is this ongoing, or is it more sporadic? I'm just no, I know it's a very nuts and bolts question, but I'm really. I'm really conscious to, to to find out because I just I love the idea of you know just of you know of of the, the the idea of the collaboration, the science, the anecdotal, and really you know really informing you know uh, people's decision making. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it can be sporadic. I mean, the summer times definitely a lot busier. We have a lot more uh, research going on in the summertime. I think. Um, um but generally speaking we're yeah we're we're in contact with with the with researchers and contractors who come out to do to do uh, work for us and they and they're quite happy to share they share their all their data with us and it's all about sharing with it so every we, we know what we're doing like and, and um um, but it's one thing I see you guys are doing is that you are you're doing the work, you're getting the data, you're recording the data, because that's going to inform, um, you know, give you the the justification that when you know you can see you can say to other adjacent landowners, other you know landowners in the um, Highlands of Scotland that this type of land management works, it pays for it, it pays for itself. And perhaps if we come full circle and investable, you know, in uh, so people can invest into it, and and yes. I and, and and I really see that as um, perhaps the kind of perhaps that's the kind of the ne the next step really that you know you you're doing the work you're getting the data and then um, correct me if I'm wrong you obviously you know the area better than I do that uh, the old style of land management in the Highlands. Is no longer the best financial option. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's kind of what we're trying to do to to, to lead by example and show that another way is possible of, of managing the land. And um, I forget the name of the place, but there's a very small croft nearby us, and the guy who's running it there is running a similar sort of way, a sort of small rewilding thing, and education and and uh, whatnot and he's he's employing 15 people the neighboring estate which is thousands of hectares um employs two people wow so and, and, and even at banloit we're I, I forget we have maybe 20 people employed there and mm. um, previously when it was managed the old way there was maybe two people employed there sort of seasonally seasonally so already is shown that it's providing a, lots of local jobs yeah um and we're looking to 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 maybe provide more as well and i think that's yeah if we can get it to really work then um i think people it would just be silly for them not to follow suit because i think the old ways of running the land to guys like shooting and deer and sort of sheep farming well sheep uh, uh, it just won't appear. It's just not profitable anymore. People just they'll they'll just fall in line and 
I think maybe they just yeah they'll see that it's, there's better ways to do things. Well, well this is the but this is the point that comes up in that's always come up in quite a few of the old podcasts. You know we ha- we you know have these conversations about you know why people are doing what, but it comes down to financial incentives. You know people are doing. Yeah whatever it may be, whether it may be farming, whether it may be, you know, um, water management, whatever, they do it because they're incentivized to do it. So, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know. And- yeah, so it's kind of a shame, like you'd kind of want people to do it because it's the right thing to do, but you need a bit of a, a carrot as well, I think. To- yeah. Oh, yeah, don't get, don't, don't get me wrong. You know, unfortunately, it takes people to do, you know, to do the right thing to, you know, in the first instance to, to, yeah to start the process Mm -hmm. but um but again you know if you think about you know that's thank you for for, you know for for saying that about you know you know about the number of employees because if you look at i mean you only have to see from afar what nepa doing and how you know it's growing it's growing it's growing in terms of you know you know sort of you know local employment um, you know, I could rattle off, you know, five other examples of, you know, how, of how it's growing, but that's really interesting that even in, even at this early point, you know, the number, numbers of, you know, numbers of em- employees are going up and, and, and that's, and that's quite interesting because I mean, I don't know the area, but, you know, um, I guess the, as we sit here now, the Highlands of Scotland are, uh, I guess, very unpopulated and, and I guess, you know, a lot of populations in, in Scotland are more so than the southeast in the cities, and it must be very, very rural. Yeah, definitely. And sort of uh, rural employment's uh, a big issue here. Like, it's a lot of people leave rural areas because they can't find work. Yeah. As if, if a lot of these big estates in the Highlands, which own all, which, on which a lot of these little villages sit next to or, or in, then people wouldn't need to leave because these estates could provide like lots of varied types of employment. Mm. Uh, they were, we're currently ad- advertising for a, a financial advisor on the, on the Abbot Ben Lloyd. So that's like, it's not a land-based job, but it's yeah. like, so it's a job for someone that does financial stuff rather than, you know, working. So we're you're all sorts of different jobs within the, within the estate so that's interesting so again excuse my ignorance but in terms of how sort of the high you know the highlands rural scotland is it is it a lot of large estates large estates sort of butting up against each other is a lot of is that how it is or is it more piecemeal because i I mean again i'm i'm comparing i'm trying to draw distinctions between Perhaps, I don't know the south of England where we are with you guys. It, 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 do you find that is it lots of you know large estate owners just just managing yeah. it like that? Yeah, there are there are a lot of large estate owners, especially like the hill grounds, like more like that's mostly under big estates where you get closer down to to like sort of villages and closer to the coast, and that it's broken up into sort of smaller farms because it's more productive land, hmm. but. So yeah, uh, the hill ground and, and sort of further north and west you get, it's all really big, big estates. Um, Inter- interesting, you use the phrase "productive land," but it's 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 well, trying to. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I I'm gonna like that. I mean, it's, it's like if you have, if you happen the hill ground, like I mean, I uh, 
I grew a lot of stuff here and I used to live at Bunloyd and it's quite high as we were 300 meters at Bunloyd um, and I used to grow a lot of stuff there and compared to where I live now it's, it's a lot easier to grow stuff here um, <laughs> so yeah that's, that's sort of what I was meaning just sort of up on the hill ground the soil is really thin it's really acid it's really exposed mm. um, so yeah, in terms of growing, that's what I was meaning, uh, productive. So, but, but we, we we were chatting the other day actually about um, you know the uh, again the uh, forest garden and how that's how that might be linking into what you guys are doing at uh, Bunloit. Yeah, well, I mean that's, that's another sort of avenue of employment or local food production uh, and money generation, um, and that's it's kind of my thing. That's what I'm into. Well, I can't really see the forest garden here from where I'm sitting, but it sort of stretches away over there. Um, I have like a, a sort of an acre and a half planted here, and I'm trying to do the same at Benloit, or, or we're trying to do the same at Benloit. Um, we started planting last last autumn with with some with a school group. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, just getting them involved in it, and yeah, and sort of yeah, and it'll, it'll hopefully we'll keep keep doing that and expanding, expanding, maybe to about a couple of acres. Um, obviously growing like your usual things what you can grow here like apples and, and plums yeah, yeah. And pears but then also some more unusual stuff as well because you can maybe sell them for a premium uh, like i'm growing a lot of Sichuan pepper here yeah. uh, kiwis um and sorry i'm experimenting with a lot of stuff i don't know if it'll work like but um yeah just to to show that you you can from a very small bit of land the forest gardening is quite a productive way of producing food from a very small area because you're you're using all the different layers of a, of a forest to be to be productive mm. uh, like from a from a square meter of land then you're getting more you're getting all those different layers of production um just yeah it'd be good to to, to showcase that i think at been liked and um feel it'd be a much more productive use of two acres of land than having a few sheep on it yeah but again it, but, but, it's, but it's interesting that, that that again it's it's you know it's try it's definitely reimagining or having the courage to think about how we can use you know how we can begin to use land in a different way you know again it, it does take the outliers to prove or disprove that you can do it and i think you know like you say, things may may work, things may not work. Well, things things won't work, and things will work. But it's it's having that courage, um, you know, in the short term to 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 do it. So, mm -hmm. so we sit here now uh, in 2022. So, what is the, uh, you know, what is the what is the plan sort of going forward? So, uh, 2023 going into 2025. Where do where is a sort of um, sort of short term, medium term direction uh, of uh, Highlands uh, Highlands rewilding? Well, uh, we can sort of carry on what we're doing at the moment. Carry on collecting data on what we have and using that to inform our management decisions. Hopefully, boosting biodiversity and carbon capture. Um, then I guess sort of further into the future, we we maybe more 
like possibly get more estates and, and sort of try and run them on the same model as Bunloitz is sort of building up the model that we would base future uh, uh, manage like the future estates on if, if we were to, or also to um, act as advisors to other estates. We could go out and, and advise on, on after we've sort of spent maybe five years or so working out what's going on where we are and how to how to do that how to, to measure it all because I feel it's only going to become more popular with with the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis that people are there will be money in that yeah. portion that people need to, to, to do it but there'll be money in like carbon capture and hopefully biodiversity credits yeah, yeah. not not quite here yet but I think that's almost inevitable that that'll happen yeah so but we, we but you mentioned in, you mentioned in in your your last answer about so you got um ban Lloyd, but um but the the never state that you've got at the moment is very different from ban Lloyd, bell dawn oh, yeah yes very very different so do you want to could you draw a sort of a comparison between the two and what what bell dawny kind of looks like at the moment well, Dorney, uh, traditionally, like the whole area there was is sheep farming and commercial forestry plantations. So you go there, and it's it's it was uh, like last year, just massively overgrazed with sheep, and then Sitka spruce plantations dotted around. There's a tiny little bit of native woodland along the river. Mm. Um, and that's it. So it's kind of a blank canvas for rewilding, really. Um, so, and yeah, it's. Um, I guess that was a. Con I guess that was a conscious decision, though. You had to sort of. Yeah. You had to have yeah. the, you know, the blank canvas to 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 test the to test the the logic. Yeah, definitely, it's it's an ideal place to be doing rewilding to to see like what you can bring back from from a relatively sterile environment. It's there's really. I mean, there there is some interesting stuff there, but it, it could be a lot more. I think definitely, and and to show that surrounding landowners that they, what can happen, and and we have we're we're going to be planting a a woodland we're, we've named the Forest of Hope, and it's kind of a riparian woodland. It's about a hundred thousand trees there, and um along the river Devon, yeah, and there's going to be we've also adjacent landowners sort of have come on board with us as well and so they're going to continue the riparian corridor like planting trees further along on their bits of land as well so 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 i want to uh, can we can we stick on that because um you know how, how much how much uh personally have you seen like adjacent landowners literally coming over to talk to you to, to say what are you doing is there is a genuine is it well is a genuine interest or is a genuine skepticism like you know well, well we're not we're not changing we've done this you know yeah well i mean i i not personally been involved in too much of that but it was a, a sort of meeting a gathering of, of of interested locals in in around Beldorney and they almost down to down to a man they were all in favor of what we were doing there interesting um, and they were all really keen and interested in what we were doing uh, it's partly due to like the area is kind of deprived in the way although it's rural it's 
it's massively depopulated. Mm. Uh, like a lot of, uh, I think they lost a lot of people to the, the Second World War and then they never really recovered from that. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's quite massively depopulated. And so they're, they're all really keen to have something sort of new and exciting happening there. And, and, and are they, and can you remember, it's new and exciting as in uh, that they are looking at it from a pragmatic, which, you know, we need uh, employment opportunities or are they, is it more, or is it, is it in conjunction with, you know, we're worried about the biodiversity crisis, we're worried about this and this is a, w- a way to reverse it or is it, is it more pragmatic and, you know, we just need employment? It's definitely both. Like, there's a very, very limited employment opportunities in that area. Um, but there was definitely voices saying that, yeah, we, we need to do something about the, the climate crisis and, and biodiversity. And also just to, and to, to demonstrate that, yeah, there are other ways of running the land that, that could employ more people and, and fix the climate and biodiversity crisis all in the same time. So it's, yeah, people were definitely very positive about what we were doing there. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's the real joy, isn't it? Because I think that, like I say, once you've got that, once you've got five, six, seven years of data, you can prove it, and you can, you know, you can, you know, you can take all these numbers, and and get get investment and show people the numbers. Um, now I think it's you know it's it's obvious it's well I'm, I'm saying I'm biased obviously it's obvious it's going to work it's worked it's worked elsewhere. So it's, it's, I think it's just obviously a matter of time before, um, you know, before, you know, it, it just becomes totally mainstream and we'll look, we'll look back in hopefully 10, 15 years and think, why did we ever, why did we ever do that? Or why did we? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the other ways of doing things that often, you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, yep. like sheep farming or grouse shooting. So should something happen, like, uh, I don't know, a disease in sheep? Whatever, then that's it. You're 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 in real trouble. But if you've got the estate and you're you're running lots of different little enterprises or different ways of different income, like you're much more resilient and and again employing more people. And it's just a, it's a more sensible way to do it. You're, you're a lot less exposed to risk. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so Daniel, thank you. Um, Thank you very much for doing the podcast. You're uh, welcome. Yeah, no, um, <clears throat> really loved it, actually. It's, again, it's nice to hear, um, you know, uh, again, I've, like I said, I've been, I've been, you know, watching you guys from afar, but, you know, hearing about what's happening on the ground, you know, anecdotally, you know, how, um, well, compared to, you know, compared to NEP, it, there's a lot of early scepticism, but it feels like, you know, it feels like very much people are on board from, you know, minute one, day one, which bodes really well. Um, and um, yeah, thank you very much, Dan. That's really kind. No, you're thank, thanks for your time. You're welcome, yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot.